Hey friends, happy new year. How the heck are you? I hope that everybody is having a great start to their year. I know I personally love a fresh start. Uh, the new year always gets me really excited, but I'm also, you know, I ease into it with without those big resolutions because they, they just don't resonate with me. But anyways, I hope y'all had a wonderful holiday season. Whatever you celebrate, you have the opportunity to rest and recharge. And if you didn't, I hope that's coming for you soon. But anyways, welcome to Detours 2024. Uh, just me today with a quick intro. Cynthia is moving, training, YouTubing, doing all the things. Um, so she's not on the intro with me, but she is on our interview today with the wonderful Molly Weaver. But we thought it'd be really nice to add an intro today just to wish you all a wonderful year ahead and also thank you for your support in 2023. We had, holy cow, like the first six months of launching the podcast was a whirlwind. You know, the fear of is anybody going to listen and to see our downloads continue to increase and increase and increase month after month um, is super exciting. So I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in on your commute, your bike rides, whenever the heck you're listening. Seriously, you are amazing. We could not do this without you. And also, Thank you for your messages and your reviews. Oh my gosh. Some of the messages we get to the Detours Instagram are so kind and so inspiring to hear about the races you're taking on, you know, your first bikepacking trip ever. You know, the things that people share in our DMs are really, really, really incredible. I well up with tears more than I care to admit. And I share all of these heartwarming messages with Cynthia but they mean a lot and we're really, really grateful to be part of your journey, whatever it is. So thank you. That was a lot of gratitude uh, smashed into like 20 seconds, but I'm brimming with it and I'm really excited to bring you all along in 2024. This month, most of our episodes, as you can probably guess, will be focused on Atlas Mountain Race. Uh, if you follow me and Cynthia on Instagram, we have talked profusely about it. I think we kicked off or capped off the end of 2023 with it, but we will both be racing Atlas Mountain Race. I think Cynthia flies on Feb 2nd and I fly on Feb 3rd and the race starts on February 10th, which is less than 30 days from when this episode airs, which is pretty bonkers. I will say it feels counter to what nature wants to me to be doing, getting ready for a race in the middle of winter. You know, normally we're wintering at this point, we're base building, maybe we're not riding the bike as much. Uh, and then, you know, the summer is the time to go full gas. So I'll definitely say it is a strange, strange feeling. And I have had to prioritize rest in there a lot because that's just naturally what the body wants to do in, in addition to all of that really good work. So February, I'm not totally sure if we will have any episodes coming out. Um, we will have this episode, obviously, with Molly. We've got another one with, spoiler alert, Louisa Werner, who won last year's edition of um, Atlas Mountain Race. And then we will have a preview episode with Cynthia and I to talk about, you know, what we're thinking about for the race. We'll have a special guest on that. And then I'm hoping we will be able to gather enough voice notes from all of the women racing Atlas Mountain Race to do a dedicated episode on just the women, because there are so many incredible, incredible individuals who identify as women racing Atlas Mountain Race and 
I really want to give them a space uh, to showcase who they are as people, what they're hoping to take away from the race and whatnot. So really hoping to make that episode happen, hopefully before the race starts, if not definitely after the race. Um, so we'll see what happens in February, but just wanted to give y'all a preview of, of what's coming. Um, since I'm the editor, I'm not going to be doing editing in, in February. I'll be racing. And then my mom is coming to Morocco with me. Uh, she's turning 60 in March. Sorry, Sue, you're listening to this probably, but uh, it's a big trip for her and, you know, celebration of doing this race and her birthday. And I just feel really stinking lucky to have that motivation of my mom at the finish line. So that's February. It's Atlas Mountain Race 24-7 in our chats. <laughs> Cynthia and I are like constantly texting about packing for the race. I had a call yesterday with someone about the route. Um, it's super exciting. And yeah, so that that's kind of the preview. Uh, shifting back to some gratitude and a shameless plug, I do want to thank the folks who offered some financial support in 2023. Um, a massive thank you to Liz, Carol, and Dave for going through our Buy Me a Coffee portal and supporting the show. Uh, it's a $5 minimum contribution one time, or you can increase it to whatever you want. But by doing so, that helps us cover costs like our virtual recording studio, our hosting software, microphones, and then hopefully one day we'll be able to make some money to put back in our pockets because it is a lot of hard work to put these episodes out into the world, though the money is not the motivator. It is well and truly just to get more folks on bikes, and that is just a bonus. So if you love the show, please consider buying us a coffee. You can do so at the link in our show notes, and that small contribution really does mean the world to us. Another plug, if you are a brand listening, we are looking for sponsors to come on board this year. We have grown exponentially in the first six months and we've got big plans to get more people on bikes in 2024 and really, really focus on growing that women's field with some special projects. So if you're interested and listening, you can DM me at Mel Webb on Instagram or you can email me uh, at thedetourspodcast at gmail.com. Alrighty, that is... All my housekeeping wishes for this year. I'm really excited. As always, our DMs are open with any thoughts, feedback, guests you have. Um, there's been some really fantastic suggestions, so we're really hoping uh, to implement those this year. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to our guest today, the wonderful Molly Weaver. Uh, you can Google her. You can read her pro cycling stats. She is a former professional road cyclist and has raced some of the biggest events on the Women's World Tour calendar there are. And now she's ripping it up on the trails, uh, racing ultras around the globe. Not exclusively off-road ultras. She does some road ultras too. But I just picture her out on her Orbea just ripping it up. Um, but what makes Molly even more amazing is her investment in the community and her focus on getting more women into bikepacking and ultra. She talks about it a bit in today's episode about some of the camps she's running this spring. Uh, we'll add the links to the show notes, but not only is Molly a phenomenal racer, but she is a community builder who does it extremely well. So we'll let her do the talking. And without further ado, first episode of 2024 with the wonderful Molly Weaver. Let's go. 
Hello, everybody. Uh, Molly, so nice to see you again. Cynthia, always a pleasure. And Molly, you're not in your usual background. I mean, no, I'm I don't know what in your a usual f- background is, but my bedroom, I guess. <laughs> this is uh, my mum's home office, so she's graciously given it up to me tonight. <laughs> Amazing. And you're you're normally based in Bristol, um, mm-hmm. which is how far from London is that? Like couple of hours depending on what you count london as <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's like right on the border of wales with like amazing amazing riding yeah if you cross the bridge into wales it's pretty it's pretty sweet once you're out of the city pretty beautiful well you've been in the uk now for a couple of years but you've also spent some time living in other places so kind of want to delve into your cycling background a little bit and that kind of mm-hmm. will also tell us about where you've lived before uh, where you are now um, but yeah let's chat about where you've been on the bike and what you've done over the past couple of years and then we'll get into ultra racing and all of that but yeah curious to know more about you and, and riding bikes. Yeah so I started riding I guess competitively when I was a kid like 15 16 um, and then spent a while racing road bikes turned professional in maybe like 2015 2016 I don't remember. Um, and yeah, then I moved to Belgium, Holland, Spain, um, before crashing out into retirement and then <laughs> re-emerging in the UK and yeah, turning to, to ultra riding. Amazing. I mean, people could be internet sleuths like me and pull up your pro cycling stats, but for folks who don't know much about the, <laughs> about the women's peloton um, and the road racing scene, Molly has raced uh, events like the Giro Donne, um Oh, what was, what's the name of the, the women's tour? And I mean, you could look it all up. You've raced a world championships, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah. One junior and one senior. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so that was probably, you don't have to dive too deep into, you know, the crash away from mm-hmm. professional road racing and there's a, quite a few articles on it, but I'm curious if you could tell us just like a little bit more about how you drifted away from road racing and found yourself in the ultra adventure scene if you will Mm. um yeah I'd say when I stopped road racing it was kind of very abrupt finished cycling Mm -hmm. um and I did just stop riding my bike there was no like gen like very gradual transition into something else and I took um a couple of years pretty much off I did like little bits of 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 riding and at that point I stopped riding on a road bike so that was kind of the first I'd say foray into anything that was alternative. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I'd only had a gravel bike for that first year. I kind of got rid of all my road bikes, all the time trial bikes, everything that I'd raced on, and then thought I don't really want to go back on the road. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly, I guess, because it's such a direct comparison. Then you kind of you've you've been at this really high level, then you've like gone to like rock bottom, and then if you go back onto that same type of bike, I feel like I just was like going to feel awful um, mm-hmm. and constantly comparing to that like who I was before and stuff. Um, so I got a gravel bike and started sort of just, just riding for fun, but kind of doing some off-road stuff and some much bigger rides, some kind of day rides, weekend rides, mm-hmm. went on a couple of tours um, and kind of fell in love with that side of riding. I then did briefly try and do a road comeback um, and then crashed and destroyed my wrist and decided that maybe I'd just park that. <laughs> um, that was kind of my... I sort of, I tested it out and then went off. Actually, <laughs> I probably don't want to break any more bones. So just, you know, like that was kind of the closure I needed. And then I thought about what maybe, do I want to stop riding completely? Do I want to try something else? 
Um, and for a while I stopped running completely and then kind of gradually fell in love with the idea of, of trying ultra riding instead. Um, and then a couple of years ago, just decided to kind of screw it, go for it and, and see what happens. Yeah. Well, you've heard quite the dive in. It's so funny when people say that they think that off-road riding is more dangerous than road riding. And I'm like, no, 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 you should watch a road race because <laughs> yeah. there's like, like what we're doing is like pretty self-contained, self-controlled, you know, like you can decide how fast you go down a descent mm. or if you're going to walk it. Whereas like in the Peloton, you're mostly at the mercy of other people's wheels if you're yeah. in an inopportune spot. Yeah, I feel like you ch- you choose your own risk on an ultra. Whereas, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you make mistakes and stuff, obviously. But yeah, you're not kind of ch- people aren't choosing risk for you. And also, yeah. there's not like, two hundred other women who are also <laughs> making those split second choices while you're inches away from each other. And yeah, I mean, crashing was a pretty regular thing. I've definitely had my fair share of crashing on the road when I was a road racer. But you know what? I know this is just quick side note. I think I've crashed in every ultra that I've done in the last year <laughs> i mean yeah i also think i've crashed in everyone <laughs> yes <laughs> but it's, it's, soft, it's like a softer landing I yeah guess. <laughs> yeah you just have to make sure you have a spare derailleur hanger so yeah. <laughs> you can change it out if you uh bend your hanger yeah, yeah definitely oh gosh you know what so... i am not that sendy i'm not that sendy every time Is i'm this... like you know i could crash here <laughs> i'm probably gonna walk and is it sandy or is it clumsy? Because uh, I just feel like maybe I mean, both. I'll ride into stuff that wasn't even in my way. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mine's always like the last hundred k. Usually it's dark, and I'm like in a switchback, and I don't know what happens, and I'm just on the ground, and I'm like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> So usually that bit when you get like really tired mm-hmm. and then you're thinking, oh, I, I probably shouldn't take that line. Yeah. And then that's just directly where you go. <laughs> yeah. What did they say? Look where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or don't look, yeah. don't look, not look where you want to go. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's true. Road racing is definitely more dangerous um, when you're in a Peloton like that. But there is also the potential for self self crashing and you know when when you get tired like that especially i don't know if you know either of you have ever had any like major mm. falling asleep or hallucinations i don't know mel we've never really talked about that have you no i okay well i have only tested the limits of sleep deprivation one time actually two times two times but the first time I actually am curious, Molly, I want to know what you're like, what you see when you're hallucinating, if if that happens to you. I see Bigfoot feet. Like, Wait, what? Gre- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in, in Greece, we're going up this climb and every rock was a house. There was like big rocks on the side and every rock was a house. And I kept being like, we should go in and like have a tea or like have a nap there. <laughs> and then all over the road like it was a tarmac road there was these big like bigfoot feet and i was like jake are you seeing this and he's like no i'm i'm not seeing this like there there was a daylight there no it was nighttime it was nighttime okay and that sort of happened to me again in the summer but i actually just like i was just so tired that i was like falling asleep and i was like swerving and i was like okay it's time it's time to go to sleep now Mm -hmm. what about you molly I pretty much always see the same thing, which is 
either people or animals like when like leaves blow or something it's always like some movement thing mm. um mm. they'll be like a tree and like it'll be fluttering in the wind and i'm like why are those people waving at me that's a tree or it's like a rock and it's it's always like a really weird animal it's always like mm-hmm. it's a rock and it's in wales and you're like why is there a tortoise on this mountain and then it's just like oh it's a rock like it's, so it's, I mean, it makes it more interesting when it's dark that you're thinking yeah. like wow there's some like, rogue stuff up here and then there's it's just nothing <laughs> have you ever experienced where you're like actually like nodding where you're falling asleep while you're riding yeah it's mildly terrifying it is for sure yeah as well i feel like i've only done it uh if i ever get to that point i just sleep so (laughs) i feel like it happens very like i mean i think it happened on transpirinese once i did an off-road ultra where it happened but yeah i just then I think on GB Jura once I had it and I just late, I just like toppled off the bike and just slept for like 20 minutes, like just on the floor mm. and then got myself back Kept up. Going. So yeah, but yeah. I think I've, I've only had two serious ones. Uh, one time in at Across Andes last year, I was on like a major road. It was like rush hour traffic in the morning on like, I don't know if it was a Sunday or a Monday. Uh, but it was really busy and I was like getting worried because there are so many buses. So I literally pulled over and laid down in a bus station where there were people standing outside of the bus station. <laughs> and I just put my bike like kind of close enough that my arm was on it. And I laid down on the bench and I fell asleep for like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes or whatever. I'm sure all oh the people God. at that bus station were like, <laughs> Is she okay? what am I seeing right now? Uh, you know, the things I feel like do. I'm such a big proponent of like, I'm such a big proponent of sleeping. And then the amount of that. times it happens at a weird time, like on, um, oh, I don't remember what race it was. I'd actually already slept that night. And then I still was like falling asleep on the bike and hallucinating. I was like, how much sleep do I need? I think mm. I'm like a nine hours kind of girl. Because mm. I, was, I was like, <laughs> I this that. feels like I've had enough. <laughs> My body was like, no, lie back down. <laughs> Get back in the grass. <laughs> Get back in the ditch where you belong. Yeah. <laughs> don't come out until you are well rested. Yeah. I'm curious how much... Like, how much do you normally, I mean, it differs on the event duration, but I'm curious, like, what do you kind of plan for your sleep duration and like what works well for you? Because Mm. it's a very personal thing. Like, I know Cynthia can thrive on much less sleep. I'm kind Mm. of somewhere in the middle, but curious where you land, Molly. Yeah, it does depend on how long the thing is overall, because you could obviously go, you can be sleep deprived for like a couple of nights if it's only going to be three but yeah, if it's going to be seven, you're like, oh, it's going to, you're going to have to sleep a bit more at the start. Um, I think I probably sleep more than average. Um, mm-hmm. I need like a fair bit if it's worth stopping at all. Um, but I don't tend to plan it. I tend to go like, oh, maybe three or four. And then I just, then I just play it by ear. Um, mm-hmm. Cause also it depends sometimes if you get, there's nowhere to sleep that night or there's, it's like freezing or, yeah. or you don't feel that tired. And there might be another night where you think, oh, I can probably power through. But then you get somewhere and it's tipping it down with rain and you're soaked through and you're freezing cold and you're falling asleep. And then you might have not planned really to stop. So I've kind of, I'm a bit more lenient with it and I just go with the flow a bit more. But I I always plan a few hours somewhere around that, give or take. Are you a planner yeah. when it comes to racing? I mean, I personally am not a planner. I'm trying to be better about it in the future. But like, when you're getting ready for a race, how much time do you spend thinking about a plan or, you know, reconning the route on not reconning it actively, but like looking at the map and, and, and the checkpoints, or if there are no checkpoints, just like figuring out where you might stop and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not great at planning, but I do, I kind of force myself <laughs> yeah. to plan yeah. it. If it was just left up to me, I'd probably be like, well, 
just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Same you're same. kind of so busy as well. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so busy, like in the lead up, there's so much other stuff going oh, on. So many like, other I'll get round to that when I get round to that. Um, but it yeah. does also depend on my own anxieties about the event. So if it's somewhere super familiar, uh, like in a country or a place that's super familiar and the type of ultra, I'm like, well, I kind of know how this sort of thing works. Then I'll typically plan a bit less because I know mm-hmm. that it is the lay of the land and stuff. Whereas if it's somewhere that I'm less comfortable with, then I want to have more of a plan of 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 attack. Um, I, it also depends how long it's going to be because sometimes if it's too long, you th- I'm never going to be able to put every resupply point down on a yeah. map and write them all down. Um, but you might just go like, ah, oh, in general, there's a populated area, so fine, that's 500k is fine. But then in another section, there it's worth putting a couple of spots. So it kind of varies. I'm also trying to be better at it. <laughs> It's so funny. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here and like, I have spreadsheets galore. I'm like, <laughs> I have spreadsheets. I'm like looking at Google Maps, zooming in on the towns, identifying business <laughs> names. Um, I don't know, because I think that hey, like, Mel, I, you, can you share your, um, what do you call you those? You share that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you call those? Your spark notes? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I so this is like a, not a secret project, but I've been like slowly building out like a page where I have like all of this info from like races that I've done so that people can like actively just like look at it because it's like, then you don't have to do the whole, like I spent hours doing this stuff and I'm like, people, people could just sell that it. stuff. Like literally yes, you can yeah, buy like that. stuff for like, yeah, everyone listening to this, Mel's new service of Atlas Mountain Race details available for purchase. I will say though, Nelson, Nelson Trees, who puts on like the Mountain Race uh, series for folks who are listening, um, he does a really good job of mapping out resupply mm. and stretches where there will be, like, I would say his manuals are, I mean, I've only really done his races and then one race that is like basically unsanctioned but his i would say are like the gold standard and i've kind of heard the same thing from other folks i would imagine Mm. that lost dot who puts on tcr and trans pyrenees they would probably have good manuals but actually i feel like a lot of the races i've done have been pretty good badlands has a really good resupply Mm. list uh i think memory bike had a really good resupply list i mean some places where you race there's so many resupply locations mm-hmm. it's like you don't even need them you know yeah i feel like with road especially with road ultras you're kind of like well you're gonna be unless it's, it's a really remote one most of them you're pretty constantly going through even small places um and there's yeah. a lot more there's a lot of prospect of finding somewhere to sleep or somewhere to eat or a bus stop or something where there's shelter whereas yeah i guess in like in atlas his is really good but you also don't have many options. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of then you need to know where they are because mm-hmm. you can't be like, oh, well, I'll skip that shop because that might be the only one for a day. Um, yeah. So yeah, his are really good, yeah. Um, and, and that is one that I planned a lot. So I did it this year and I that's one where I was I knew I wouldn't be just really relaxed going there and super comfortable with, oh, I know how to find stuff and it'll all just be in front of me and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll just wing it. Um, so yeah, that one I, I did a lot of research. Whereas something like Transpyrenees, I didn't mm-hmm. do very much because I just thought, well, it's familiar country and I'll be going through stuff all the time. So it's kind of, it's not super necessary. Yeah. Transparencies yeah. is a road ultra, right? You did that this past year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of like across from the one coast to the other across the Pyrenees and back. Um, and there are stretches without resupply, but not on the scale not of, of mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Not huge. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to do the, some event in, tran- in, um, in the Pyrenees 
I, it's really beautiful. Um, maybe yeah. I, w- I would do that road one, but there's also that new one that James Hayden is putting on cal- called El Piri. Uh, yeah, yeah, that does look really good. Yeah. That looks interesting because it's off-road, which seems like something mm. more fun for me. I don't know. I'm an off-road kind of person. I'm not sure. Well, Molly, if you had to pick one, a road or off-road, what would you choose? And when I say off-road, I mean gravel, road, or mountain bike. Hmm. Probably if I, could, if I could only do one type ever again, probably mountain bike. Interesting. Um, probably off-road. If I could only do one type, because I'd quite happily go on a road tour. <laughs> Just, mm. you know, I can... I can make my own adventure there. <laughs> so wh- yeah. what made you want to do ultras instead of just like touring? Because like, obviously you've done the whole competitive thing. Like you're, you know, you've raced at the highest level in cycling that there is basically. And you said you were getting into some touring and then now you're you're signing up for events or races, whatever people want to be calling them. But what made you, mm-hmm. what, what spurred your interest into going that direction instead of just going and doing big tours like with your friends or family mm-hmm. members? this is a good question i do continually ask myself that same question <laughs> i'm still kind of like what do i actually want to do mm-hmm. um i don't know i think i needed some some aim that was bigger than myself i think i wasn't in a place in my life where i probably would just have got up and gone somewhere i'm not someone who would have gone oh i'll just go to that country and ride my bike on my own i think i needed there to be something kind of bigger than that as like a motivator and as a structure and a safety net um because as much as you're on your own in an ultra you're also not there's also a lot of other people there and a, and a structure around it and it's kind of there is more help than just going to morocco and just riding your bike through the atlas mountains alone um and i i think i also had that feeling of i kind of didn't get everything out of myself in my career as a road rider i retired at what 27 i think uh 26 maybe so i was still like young in the sport mm-hmm. um and i think i didn't ever want to look back and just think that I kind of wasted that opportunity I mean obviously you can do things until whatever it is you want to do things but in that kind of spot where you're still motivated to do it and you're physiologically going to be in your best years yeah. I, I think I didn't want to I didn't want to have any more regrets about like my cycling career I didn't want to have that feeling of I kind of threw all my toys out the pram when it when it went wrong um and yeah. didn't give something else a chance <laughs> to also be great I've never heard that saying throw my right. toys out the proud. Well, it's a very British saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I mean the best part about ultra cycling and just endurance uh, athletic pursuits in general for women, Cynthia and I talk about this all the time, is like as you age, for the most part, you just get better. Mm. Like women are predisposed to, you know, your prime is much later than a man or mm. I mean I don't know the science of it but it's like exciting to be young in the sport because mm. it feels like at least from my perspective you have so much time instead of like yeah. you know a sport that is a higher intensity like on the road or the track or something mm. like that like the years you have there are much more finite or at least like in my opinion I think they are oh yeah it's very much when you're in in something like road riding or if it was track or if it was whatever, there is a countdown clock really on on your career. And you you do feel that pressure of, oh, if I don't succeed in the next, like, however yeah. long, then it's that's it, it's over. Um, whereas, yeah, there's not so much, I mean, in ultra riding, it's also choose your own adventure. So, yeah, okay, it might not be the same iteration, but you can just carry on doing it in whatever form you want to do it in. And there's a lot more space to make mistakes as well. You thought you can have a bad run and you can be like, oh, I messed loads of that up. But it just, there's, you're like, well, okay, there's next year. Um, yeah. There's not so much of, oh my God, that's one year of my very short career and it's gone. Um, so yeah, there's a lot less pressure on it from that, that aspect, sure. Mm-hmm. And there's so many variables too. 
that like you no event is gonna go like I think you can be the road is like a bit more calculated whereas like on an off-road or just an ultra because they're like you know some are two weeks long so many things can happen that are completely outside of your control and you're just like well I better roll with that or else like (laughs) things will just go down the toilet pretty quickly um so what was your first kind of like off-road event or you know foray into into things uh I think it was GB Juro in it -hmm. must have been lockdown year I think that's probably the first kind of proper event I'd done um I think that was the year where I I decided in the start of that winter that I'd kind of give ultra riding a go and ultra racing a go and then it was the year then COVID hit in the spring um Mm -hmm. so then kind of the whole season got cancelled um but that continued on because they did it self-sufficiently so you didn't have to go inside and stuff I think that was the only event really that carried on that year so I did that in the summer scratched from that (laughs) and then went back I think about two months later and kind of finished the route then as a as a kind of bikepacking tour by myself awesome Hmm. good for you for going going back back. and and getting it done yeah it was was actually like a really like I don't know it was kind of obviously you don't want to ever scratch from something but kind of I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, that was actually a really different but cool experience and cool way to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any feeling of like sadness over not finishing the race. It was a it was a cool way to get sort of closure on something just to be like, oh, I'll just go and do it as a bikepacking trip. And yeah, it was really wicked. Yeah. Like what is it? I mean, a race finish is nice, but what does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Because I think most people are doing this for themselves. And I think one of the things I admire so much about you is how open you are about scratching. Like, I think when I first started riding ultras, people were kind of like, oh, if you scratch, like you're not good. But I don't believe that. And it's nice to hear other people have that same belief that like, it's, it can be self-preservation. Like there's a whole reason for scratching, but it's not, it doesn't make you less than if you Mm. do it. Um, Mm. Because, you know, it's a very personal choice and Mm. you want to be healthy and continue to be able to do things, right? Yeah. So you went back and you did another very interesting thing in the COVID year because I, inter- <laughs> I, I, we have to tell people about this. Um, you rode around your back garden doing the Dirty Weaver, um, mm-hmm. which was, uh, it's normally Dirty Reaver, right? It's like a yeah. 200 kilometer off-road event and you raised money for uh, victims of domestic violence, if I remember correctly. So tell us a little bit more about that, because I know that was not totally as expected and also just like such a wild, interesting thing that you did. <laughs> yeah, I think I had, it was a bit where I was doing in kind of lockdown where everything had stopped, all races had been cancelled or whatever your thing was, everything had been cancelled. Um, and people had started to do charity things. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw some guy, I think from Italy, did a marathon on his balcony. And I was kind of, oh <laughs> I, was, I was like, that is such an, an awesome and crazy idea and I I thought oh it'd be cool if you could do something like that on the bike but it's obviously you can't go back because it was on the balcony um so I was like there has to be some alternative that's kind of as out there and as weird um and as much of a of a challenge but obviously you couldn't leave your house really um mm-hmm. and there's lots of people doing stuff on Zwift or on static trainers and stuff but I didn't have one and that's not really my thing so I was like well you've got to be able to do it outside um and then the Dirty Reaver, which is yeah, a gravel race, um, was supposed to be happening a few weekends later. And um, I was like, oh, maybe I should just do the distance of that, but just do it around the garden. 
Um, and <laughs> my dad, the enabler, was like, that is such a, we should, you should do that. You should just announce it. <laughs> Go down. <laughs> yeah. So like, announce it and then it has to happen. Um, he was like, oh, you could do it around our garden. We'll map out like a little course. Um, and they've got kind of gravel little paths around it. So it'll mostly be on gravel. So it'll still kind of tie in. So he was like, oh, you should announce it. It's going to be so cool. You can call it the Dirty announce Weaver. It. It's like a play <laughs> on words. It's going to be amazing. Um, Molly's last so name yeah. is Weaver for everyone listening. Yeah, <laughs> for context. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we got like merch made. It was the whole thing. Oh, my, you had merch made? That's amazing. I love it. So <laughs> and, um, and kind of, I just, I, I put it out there. And I thought at the time that a lap would be about a kilometer um off the top of my head I just thought oh yeah just eyeballing it that looks like a kilometer to me um and the race the kind of short version of the race is 130k so I was like oh that's not even that many laps really like it's you know 130 that's nothing <laughs> I'm not kind of just bat that out um and then announced it then thought to measure the garden <laughs> um so got my tape measure out did my lap and it was 100 meters I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> that's suddenly got way less fun (laughs) but you kind of you really can't back down especially once you've got like a a fundraising page up and everyone's already donating money and you're kind of you're so far in that you can't back out now um so just had to like grin and bear it and go with it um and how long did it it take you to do it so long uh something like i don't know 15 hours or something it took me so long you can't really go that that fast in that kind of a tight space yeah, it was such, I mean, because it was a made to be a cycling course, it was such awkward turns. Every turn was like super tight. So you had to go, and there's no straight. So you had to just like, you were only turning really. <laughs> so oh it was gosh. nothing but muddy turns. <laughs> and the weather was this awful storm. So it'd rain nonstop. So it was, it just became these like clumps of mud with what are decorative rock. It's not like proper gravel. <laughs> and they just like, clog up the, the, like, the whole group set. It just clogged. Like you can just oh, hear it no. scraping around. <laughs> so yeah, it took me a long time. Um, a lot longer than I thought it would. I kind of thought I'll bat it out pretty quickly, but no, it, it was a cool thing. It kind of lots of people got behind it. It was, it's yeah. a bit of kind of fun and light in what was quite like a dark time for everyone. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Good for you. Wow. So you did that in the COVID times, uh, and then you you've done GB Duro again. What other have races have twice, you done yeah. in the last couple of years? Uh, I've done Trans I've done Highland Trail, done a couple of UK ones. Uh, I've done Atlas this year, um, mm-hmm. and that's about it because I didn't do too many last year. And then obviously yeah, it was COVID before that. I was meant to do more this year. But I injured my knee twice, so I ended up. I think I dropped like half the races I was supposed to do. I think this oh, year. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a bummer. But you came back and you did Trans Pyrenees, even though you had been you had been dealing with at least one of these knee. Was it the same knee both times or different knees? Yeah, it was just yeah, it was just the same injury twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's kind of it was a I I probably hadn't recovered enough, um, and I probably went too hard in my comeback race, and then it yeah, it kind of just it I, on day two or three of that ultra which was an off-road ultra so on the mountain bike it's pretty hard um and yeah i just re-aggravated the same thing again yeah ultra uh ultras are tough on your knees no matter what but when you're doing um when you're doing mountain bike ultras the amount of elevation gain with all that heavy weight on your bike i can imagine that yeah if you aren't fully fully recovered i've definitely experienced my fair share of like irritated knee situations mm-hmm. from climbing with heavy weighted bikes definitely hard to do but you did trans as a road 
ultra. And then you last year, obviously in, in February, you did Atlas. So you're going back this year to do Atlas again. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like everybody we keep having on the show is actually going to Atlas. I know. (laughs) I think it's going to be such a good year. I keep seeing more people popping up and mention it. It's going to be so wicked. Yeah. It's going to be a big party. And you just, I was, I saw your new bike day post, uh, your, or I can't pronounce it. it. Orbea Oys. It's Oys, but the English is Oys. Yeah. I, I think it's a place in Spain, but I could be wrong about that. <laughs> oh, well, oh, looks yeah, that's sweet. It's, uh, uh, Orbea is like, from Spain, isn't it? Yeah, it's from the Basque country, yeah. The Basque uh, country, I think yeah. it's a mountain there where they developed the bike. Oh, cool. Very cool. How was the first ride? Oh, it's good. It is. It's, you know, on those bikes where you're just like, I'm probably not good enough to ride this bike. <laughs> you know, just feel like, <laughs> like imposter syndrome with the bike. <laughs> kind I of off-road. That. It's like, oh, this is... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit, it's a bit too good for me, I think. But I do, I, yeah, it's really, it's... Is yeah, it a hardtail really or is it full No, full, it's full sussed, yeah. Ooh. It's a trail bike, so it's 120 front and back, yeah. And you're going to ride this at Atlas or this is just... No, I'm going to ride at Atlas. You're yeah. riding at Atlas. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah, to go and look. Yeah. I didn't see your post. That's exciting, though. <laughs> oh, there's nothing Molly's just going to be day. flying down the descent. Um. So you're do you did Atlas last year and did you scratch because you got sick? Was that yeah? I got I got that. I think a lot of people got it, but I got that respiratory lung infection mm. thing that mm-hmm. everyone. I mean, a lot of people. By the time I got to the finish, I mean, oh, so many people scratched because of that. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a really high scratch rate, and I think almost everyone it was because of whatever the respiratory thing was. I, mean, I never got it diagnosed, but everyone yeah. had the same issues with breathing and like coughing up loads of really disgusting stuff (laughs) yeah well it was unseasonably cold i mean like you can expect it to be quite cold in the mountains because you're going up i think like the highest is over two thousand meters Mm -hmm. um but you know a lot of people think of morocco as this hot dusty place which i'm sure you had hot days but Mm. it was like what was there was snow on the first mountain pass oh yeah a lot of snow (laughs) i think in the i think in the manual it still says in the manual what's the lowest temperature you can expect and the answer is zero just ignore that that's it, like that's not true yeah. <laughs> like the evidence is against that it's much colder um I do think it was unseasonably unseasonably cold um but yeah we uh I mean we, we knew I landed maybe five days before the race when I landed it, it was still saying that the coldest would be maybe zero minus one potentially but by the time right. it was then the day before the race it was already saying it's going to be much colder than that so we had a bit of time to go to decathlon and panic buy millionaire <laughs> stuff i heard there was um, a lot of panic buying going on oh so much panic buying that marrakesh decathlon had a bumper sale week like it was really good for them um, as we all just like oh no we did not pack for this when we left um yeah. and you could see you from the hotel and from the start you can see the mountains so we could see there was snow um because yeah. you could see that like all the big mountains were covered in snow and then you start in the evening so it's obviously pitch black by the time you get to the get to the mountains um, and it was a full moon and it was so bright because you all you had was these peaks around you that were like deep in snow. So the full moon light off the white of the snow, you thought, God, it's, it's going to be cold up there as it illuminated your like, future. Um, and I think on the first pass, it was maybe like a foot of snow at Whoa. most of it. Um, and you kind of got to the top and like, went to have a drink and your bottle was just completely solid with ice. There was no water left in that bottle. <laughs> Whoa. so yeah it was oh, no. pretty chilly <laughs> that's crazy 
Will you pack differently this time around, like anticipating that it will be that cold? Or are you going to kind of see how things go the week of? I will take more cold stuff. I'll, mm, I'll, yeah. I'll take the clothing and the equipment and stuff if it gets that cold. Um, I mean, I don't know if we got ill because of the cold. The kind of theories were the cold and the dust um, probably contributed to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always dust, but kind of the two com- like combined. But also it could just be that you're all in the same hotel for days. You're yeah. all in the same hotel for the start of the race. It starts in the evening, so you've been hanging around for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And maybe someone just had something and you all gave it to each other. And then you went and raced an ultra. So then you all had to race it with cold and dust yeah. and yeah. stuff. Kind of standard stuff, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, you'll never know what it was about. But, yeah, I'll definitely, te- I'll definitely prepare for colder. Because um, then you can always yeah. not take something, whereas... Yeah, I think especially totally. like sleep systems and stuff. I didn't really have it. I didn't really have something that was appropriate for that cold. Um, yeah, which what, which kind of limited you how you slept. What sleep? Have you figured out what sleep stuff you'll take this year? I mean, now that you've done it, are you planning on bivy or what are you thinking? Um, I probably would take a bivy and a sleeping bag. I last time I took down trousers and a down jacket. Which ended up working in my favor because I rode in them a lot because it was so cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was not the plan. Um, but I mean, I will still take a sleep system. I actually slept inside almost the whole. I think I only slept outside twice uh, last nice. year. So, but it, it's it's difficult to guarantee you'll have somewhere to sleep inside. And yeah. obviously, you have to be willing to be really flexible with when you sleep because it might be that you get to the only town and it's not the time you would normally like to sleep but it's there or nowhere. Um, so then you kind of have to take the choice um, of, of staying out. I, th- I think one of the nights I stopped at a, a restaurant that had rooms in it and loads of people were there. And I think about half the people decided to push on to the next checkpoint and half of us would just decided, oh, we wouldn't normally sleep this early, but let's, I'm just going to stay here and I'll sleep and then I'll set off at like 3am or whenever I'll set off. And we got to then the next checkpoint and it that was the coldest point of the race. It was kind of nondescript. There was no reason for it to be that cold, but it was, oh, it was absolutely, like, so that stuff you're in every layer and you're still physically shaking. And then you start taking layers off and like your feet start to burn as they get warm and your hands yeah. are on fire. It's so painful. Nice. And then we got to the checkpoint and the people who, the people who'd not stayed in the restaurant we're arriving after us we're like how how have we how are you still not here um and they'd kind of (laughs) they'd kind of pushed on but it was so cold at like the coldest point of the night they'd had to kind of find places to try and camp and like not have thermia so i think yeah yeah i think maybe it's sometimes a smart move to stop inside but it's maybe not ideal time wise but it ends up working in your favor yeah, what was it? Was it Alan who told us, Cynthia, that like the coldest part of the night is usually like right before the sun rises because the dew point, et cetera. So a mm. lot of people were going to sleep at like 7 p.m. while it was mm. still quite air quotes warm. And then yeah. they'd get their few hours of shut eye, wake up in the middle of the night mm. and ride through the coldest point so that you're not, you know, laying immobile and freezing. Because there's always things in, in ultras that really get to you that you're like that that you don't think will. And the thing loads of people spoke about it um, around Atlas is that it's a really long night and the sunrise mm-hmm. takes so long. Like the mm-hmm. bit from where you think it should start to be warm, it takes like another hour for it to get warm. So you'd, you'd go through what you thought was the coldest bit of the night and then you'd start to see the sunlight. Like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to get warm. And then it just would never rise. <laughs> and you'd start to get so kind of, it's completely irrational because it's like not a thing to be like, it's just mother nature. But you'd be so yeah. getting so angry at just nothing because you're just so cold. And the sun would just like, 
be stuck behind a mountain for what felt like forever. And like, like Alan said, it was like, you just, in your mind, you think it should be warm by then. And you think you should be getting warmer, but you're just getting colder. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, the smarter moves probably to, to make sure you're not trying to sleep when it's <laughs> that cold. When it's that cold. Yeah. Keep moving. Yeah. Well, so I just got down trousers. So I have them. Mel and I have matching ones. Um, but I'm in this point. <laughs> I, I, I'm so far behind in my preparation for this race. <laughs> I'll figure it out later kind of thing. Um, but I'm trying to figure out if I want to bring a sleeping bag or I want to get a quilt or what I'm going to do. It is a tough choice to figure out what to bring. And it's like, I'm asking you, I've asked everybody on the podcast who's come and I'm asking all kinds <laughs> of people that have been there. It is a tough choice. Yeah, and I feel like there's always there's always pros and cons, and you'll always regret it at some point. Like there's never really like a correct answer. <laughs> yeah, so I'd yeah. say that like mm-hmm. I took so I took down trousers and a down jacket, which was great because if if I could ride in them, I didn't get hypothermia. Yeah. So I would, that was a real win. Um, but actually, they weren't as warm as a sleeping bag. So then if I tried to sleep, I was so yeah. cold. You're just shaking and actually not sleeping, so you may as well just carry on. Um, so it's kind of yeah, it's it's tricky to know which is the best compromise to make. Um, I guess it depends if you think you'll need to ride in them, which hopefully it won't be that cold. <laughs> so hopefully oh it won't be like a factor. Did you bring know, rain that's trousers? I'm thinking of bringing. Uh, no, no. Um, I know that seems but, like a silly question, but I mean, it's also it's windproof, isn't it? So it's not silly. It's probably not yeah. going to rain though. Hopefully, I mean, you, I mean, yeah. I'm knocking on wood over be minus here. ten. <laughs> <laughs> really knocking on the wood. I uh, think rain pants are kind of great for cutting the wind chill mm, because mm-hmm. you can get away with wearing, like you could just be in your bibs underneath rain pants. But if you're riding, like they kind of, I mean, they're a bit like a trash bag, you know, like you get a bit wetter wearing them, but I think they are, they cut the wind chill a little bit better than like down pants are great. If you're moving slow, if you're mm. moving fast, the air just kind of cuts into them. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really do as much as you would no. want them to. No, but they apparently save you from getting hypothermia. So I'm yes. glad I, I got a pair. <laughs> yeah. Something I never thought I would own. I put them on and I was like, oh my God, these look hilarious. <laughs> They're fantastic. You look like a little Michelin man or a you marshmallow. Like a Michelin like, man. Oh. You know, in skiing, totally different thing, but they have like this whole thing. Americans, we don't really call it this, but it's like après ski. It's like the whole vibe yes. after skiing. It's like a thing. And I was like, oh, maybe these could be like, you know, I would wear them after skiing. Like and I put them on and I was like, no. <laughs> these are not these are not they don't fit into the category of après ski. Yeah. Well when I stopped at I think the last checkpoint I stopped at, I stopped for like 12 hours because I was trying to decide whether I was going to carry on and put some time to rest. And a tip I have for women or people who menstruate is even if you're not due to have your period, take stuff Bring because stuff you cannot buy tampons or whatever you oh, use in yeah. Morocco. Mm. Um, but I hadn't taken any provisions and did start my period. Oh, so I had no. been manufacturing out of my first aid kit my own tampons, which oh my God, was ingenious, no. but also not great. <laughs> it, was, it was really not the vibe. <laughs> there's, there's kind of moments where you're just like, what am I doing? And that oh, was really like... Really an experience. Um, uh, there's one point where I, I I had just been making my own tampon and then oh a photographer, one of the photographers popped up and was like, how's your morning going? And I was like, you don't want to know. He's <laughs> 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 like, what have you been up to this morning? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you because I feel yeah. like it's TMI. <laughs> but but at, when I was at, in this town, I was like, well, I'm going to go to all the pharmacies and try and and try and like find something um, and get some other yeah. supplies of stuff that I'd kind of run out of or I, like I'd lost my suntan lotion, so I had to go and buy that. Like all these little things that you kind of have to deal with. 
And all I had to wear that wasn't my disgusting lycra that I was just wanted to get out of was my down trousers and my down jacket. So I'm mm-hmm. walking around this town like an insane person in my dad in my michelin suit yeah. trying to like blend in going into pharmacies but i'm not crazy but as i was like dripping in sweat as well because at this point it wasn't cold so yeah, like God. and in my cycling shoes i'm like clopping around the place that's the worst part about an about packing for an ultra is of course you really want to prioritize space for just like cycling kit and things you need on the bike but you also need to consider the scenarios of like what if you're stopped for really like there are those really 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 niche small scenarios where you're like stopped or something and like you could be in your kit for like three days if you scratch and you're in the middle of nowhere and you have to get in a taxi and like you're just clopping around in your cycling shoes which is like Mm. worth it you know what's crazy is i'm not crazy but this what you were saying molly about like you know you weren't expecting to get your period it it actually is pretty pretty normal for people to have a cycle that gets out of whack when you're riding that much so Mm. yeah to any women who menstruate that are listening definitely definitely carry something because you never know it honestly almost every race it's happened to me in the middle yeah. of the race. Since, since then, it's also happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Your body it basically it's it's like when um yeah when when you are like at a time in your life where like your weight fluctuates and stuff, and sometimes you can yeah. you can get you, you can get it at different times. It's the same thing. Your body just kind of goes into overdrive, and it happens right. every every race I've done. It's also such a t- like, I can still picture myself in the hotel room in Marrakesh. And it's such a tiny thing to take. Why didn't I just take it? But I was like, yeah. no. I was like, I could save that gram like, at that point. Who cares? It's like I was cursing yeah. myself, obviously. I was like, why did I even have the thought of, oh, I, I could save myself some space if I take out that yeah. tampon? Like, it's really not that. It just doesn't matter. And yeah, it was a, an experience. Everyone <laughs> learned so- from Molly's mistake here. <laughs> Molly okay, will never make be- the mistake again. <laughs> to be fair, the manual does say that if you menstruate, you will not find... Because me, being the crazy planner I am, I read every inch of course you did. thing. It does say, it does say that you will not find menstrual products. But like, how would you know otherwise? Mm. It's funny. The, like, well, the I things- did read the manual, so I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> how would i know i had the manual (laughs) (laughs) it's funny the things that we like try and save weight on i was talking to um rob Britton, who won badlands and we were talking about like whether or not he used corded headphones or wireless headphones and he's like oh i bring like my corded headphones and i was like oh do you bring a backup like what happens if they break and he's like no are you kidding me that takes up valuable space (laughs) rob I was like, uh, it's it's like maybe the size of a peanut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't carry I extra could... headphones though. Mel, do you? I do. Do you really? carry extra ones, Molly? Yeah, I do take two sets. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, could you imagine, like, because, uh, like, I mean, a short event, whatever, mm-hmm. like you know, but like something like Transpyrenees or Atlas, like. How long were you riding for Transpyrenees? That's a good question. Five days? I, I know, I'm, oh, it was, it was really recently. <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite well, yeah. But, oh, didn't they, didn't they tell you you're not allowed to listen to music because you're on roads? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I, actually, so I actually took no headphones to Transpyrenees, but normally, <gasps> I, normally I would, yeah. Um, it was just silence and my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> it was quite an experience. <laughs> so what did, like, how did you 
I can't even like there there are periods of time in an event or on a bike tour where it is really nice to have no music but I couldn't imagine like not having that option of the distraction of like a podcast or something like what kind of was did you have moments of just like stasis where there were no thoughts or were you like thinking the whole time oh I I don't really remember what I thought about I think I I did have so I had my phone and I had a like a backpack on so and it had a pocket that I could put my phone in if I put my if I put like a podcast on or music I could still hear it mm. so I was an like, oh, obnoxious cool, okay. person who was just playing a podcast out loud up at, climbing up a mountain <laughs> for no it. yeah for like no apparent reason um and so I, I did sometimes listen to stuff I didn't have nothing in silence but most of the time I didn't and yeah I guess hours would pass and I I think I thought nothing <laughs> I think maybe it was just like tumbleweed I don't because I yeah I don't remember having I mean there comes a point doesn't there where it, it just time just passes and yeah. I think whether you're listening to something or not you probably can't pinpoint what you thought about during that time or if you had any thoughts <laughs> um I mean yeah a lot of the a lot of the mountains I just had something out loud because obviously you can it's not windy so you can you can still yeah. hear it yeah that race is so cool because you ride like it's self-routed to one point right mm-hmm. and then everybody has to ride all of the calls on the way back to the finish line so it's like 10 mountain passes or something oh. like that yeah, so you there's like checkpoints on the way out, so you have to go through certain points, but you can choose how you get there. Um, mm-hmm. I guess so they keep you kind of on similar like routes, and then yeah, the way back you you do it. it's on the Rain Pyrenean pretty much the whole way back. Um, and there's it's just an endless stream of mountains. I don't normally have it, but that climbing partner thing you can have on your Garmin. I normally yeah. don't like it on because I just don't want to know. <laughs> I just ignorance <laughs> is bliss, and I'll I'll tackle it when I get there. Yeah, um, but I thought when I put the route on the way back, I was like, oh, I I should probably I'll put it on and just have a glance. And I think I was on mountain one of fifty five or something, and oh. I was like, I'm, I was I'm turning it back off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need I don't need that kind of like that negativity in my life. I don't need that negativity. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> I was just I can't do it. Um, it was I pretty much the way back. You're climbing a coal, descending a coal, and then you'd have no real flat, and then it would just mm. be up the next one straight away. Crazy. Um, yeah. Wow. I think I saw on your Instagram, like, were you at the top of the tourmalay at like one in the morning or something crazy like that? Yeah, one or two a.m. or something. Yeah, yeah. I climbed so, that. I think I yeah I climbed all of that at night, which was it was it was quite a cool experience because yeah, it's, it well, as you get to the top, it's quite built up, but then it's no nobody's there but you, and it's obviously a really famous climb. So there's all yeah. there's a lot of names on the road. There's kind of there's all the kind of hoarding from races and stuff with all the brands on it and whatever and then you're just 2 a.m on your own by yourself <laughs> yeah did you ever race up the tourmalade i didn't know uh they never they didn't have um the women's tour right. de france when i raced they only had the the ones where it was like a day um or mm-hmm. two days but i yeah we never did um we never did the tourmalade in those that must have been kind of spooky but cool to be like riding up that road and like having you know past teammates names on the ground I think you wrote something beautiful Mm. on Instagram about the experience but just like it would be kind of at least for me I'd be very reflective of the two kind of different periods Mm. of time in your life yeah it was it was really it was the last night as well so you've also got I think you're exhausted and you haven't Mm. really slept that much Mm. and you're yeah you're just trying to get it done um and yeah, I think the climb, so the Tourmalet was the, obviously the biggest one, but there's, there'd already been a few that had had some names on the road and stuff. But that one, the whole way up, was just like constantly, it was people that you used to know, ex-teammates, ex-friends, mm. like all that kind of stuff. And it was a really kind of weird experience. It was a bit of a sliding doors thing of, 
everything you could have won by is kind of on the road. Um, and I did have, I mean, I don't often think about it anymore. It's, it's kind of, you don't constantly reflect on, on your past all the time. Um, mm-hmm. but it was, there was kind of nothing but that to confront. There's no other noise. There's no one to talk to. There's just hours of just like on repeat this thing of, oh, you, this could have been something you did. This could have been a part yeah. of your life. Um, and yeah, the kind of reflection that comes with, with how you feel about that and how you feel about the fact that that's not in, that's not the way you're doing this you're kind of you're doing it on your own in this weird ultra um, at yeah. 2 a.m mm. <laughs> instead of kind of with thousands of people screaming at you um and it's it's kind of two polar opposites that you climb mm-hmm. it seeing literally no one which is rare even if you're just doing it as a day ride um yeah and you climb it with just nothing but like a wall of noise around you um so yeah it was a really interesting experience <laughs> I know as a road racer in the past, I used to get to- like total nerves, really terrible nerves before starting a race. And for me, it's much different now. I don't have the same kind of anxiety about racing as I did previously. Obviously, there's different anxieties that you have about going to places like Morocco or, um, you know, challenging races that you're going to like not sleep or whatever. But did you experience any sort of like anxiety or nerves with racing? And do you still feel that way while, while you're doing or lining up for an ultra now? Yeah, I used I did. I also used to be bad with nerves. It would depend if I knew I was on really good form and there wasn't too much pressure on the team, then there were some moments where yeah, you could kind of just enjoy it a bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a much more of like a pressure cooker and there's a lot more external pressures on you. Kind of, yeah. there's there's literally people telling you that you need to win this. There's not just whether like, you want to do it or not. Um, and you've got the thing of letting down a team. You've got people around you that it's nice to be in a team, but also you have to perform for them um, in a certain way. What I kind of find different about ultra racing is that if you don't win or you or you don't achieve whatever it was you set out to achieve from like a results point of view, there's so much more to that experience, whether you scratch mm-hmm. or not, there's so much more to that experience. I mean, I raced Atlas, I scratched, I didn't have any feeling that I, that I missed out on getting something out of that experience. Like that, that for yeah. me was all it needed to be. I kind of, I didn't have any feeling of things that I missed out on, or I didn't really have a feeling of unfinished business. I'm going back, but more just because I really want to go back, not because I feel like I didn't get something out of that. Whereas if you're racing a road race or something like that, there kind of is only the winning. You're not you're not looking yeah. at the views. You're not you're not having oh my god, what what amazing experience. Um, you're kind of you're looking at the road and the wheel in front of you. So yeah. there's there's kind of there wasn't much to achieve outside of how good you were as a rider and by very kind of binary metrics. What results did you get? What were your power numbers? What was your output? Right. What did you do in like what did you contribute to this result? All that sort of stuff. So there was there was kind of nothing that was outside of of things that can be quantified really easily. Like, what's your power to weight ratio? That was kind of like, that's a metric that you're judged by. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you, even if you have your own aspirations, which everyone does within an ultra, I kind of feel less pressure. So well, if it doesn't doesn't end up how I want it to end up, if I don't get the result I want, then it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Because there was, I could still have an incredible experience. I could still gain so much from that. It could still be fulfilling. So yeah, I don't feel like there's as much there's as much riding on it other Mm -hmm. than it just being a cool thing you've done. (laughs) Yeah. It's more about the journey than the destination when it comes to, I mean, like obviously there are folks, you know, in the community who are very results oriented and for them, it is very much about, you know, it is about winning and less about the journey. But I think at least for me, that 
the feeling of you don't have to have the performance that you set out to, to still have a meaningful experience is really impactful because like, I mean, I also with road racing, like you had many more opportunities to race in a year, whereas like with ultra racing, it, it does take such a toll on your body. It is a huge time investment. It's a huge monetary investment. Like you only get so many shots in a year. So to have it all riding on performance is like, I think a bit of a detriment unless it's what you're doing as, as your career. Right. And like you said earlier about the variables, you can, there's so little you can really control. Um, obviously you can come in with as good form as you can. You can have done your spreadsheet and you can have know where your stuff is. <laughs> you know, you could have like read the manual, manual loads of times. And kind of your chances of success then are higher. You've got, you've made, mm-hmm. you've given yourself more of a shot of having, of having something that's successful in a race term, but still you can't really control much about it. There's still going to be so much thrown at you. Um, so you can't judge it as kind of black and white as, as you could. I mean, there's still variables in any kind of yeah. racing, but they, they're much narrower variables, um, in, in something that's shorter and there's a set route for it. And it's kind of, it's very highly managed over radio and you're really telling you what to do. There's team cars. There's like so much structure around you that, yeah, there's bad luck. You, you crash, you have a mechanical, mm-hmm. whatever, but that's going to be such a drop in the ocean of what happened that year. The rest of it, yeah. you're going to be judged on your performance. Um, no one's going to go, oh, but you had, you know, this weird thing happened in that race. You know, it's not, it's, it's kind of not as likely to happen. <laughs> One thing we've been asking people, because I think it was Alan who gifted us this piece of wisdom, but like in, in ultra racing or like bikepacking in this kind of this specific niche, you know, there's kind of three pillars. There's the mental, the physical and the mechanical. And really to be successful, like, yes, you should have all three of those things. But like, if you're really mentally strong and you can fix any mechanical, if you're not in the best form of your life, it doesn't really matter. So I'm curious where you fit in that triangle like what do you think is your biggest strength and maybe your biggest weakness oh that's a good one <laughs> i feel like i don't know it probably depends on on what the the ultra is mm-hmm. and, the time um, and the just year. the moment in time mm-hmm. in your life yeah. yeah yeah i'd say up until now probably mental's been my weakest i would say um oh, interesting and that's kind of i think mostly probably because i've not found how i want to do it yet so you're much more right. led by what you think you should be doing and how you like think you have to race things or have to ride things and being much more influenced by what people say, what people are saying, what people are thinking of you. Um, and as soon as you kind of let that in, you're like already onto a loser. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to, it's, if it's not how you want it, how you're going to function best in whatever race is. Um, so that's probably, yeah, I feel like that's something now that I'm, I guess, cause this year I've had like physicals be my downfall this year so I feel like yeah. I've had lots more space to think about about improving something else of, of what I'm doing and I haven't been able to ride things how I would have wanted to because I've not physically been there whereas yeah. kind of up until that point I'd not really had an excuse to not do well so right. I I like let a lot of a lot of things get to me that now I think I probably would not give so much space to probably now mechanical because <laughs> 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 I'm not great with that <laughs> who is like there I mean there are obviously some people who are really gifted mechanically but I'm I mean I can get the job done in a pinch but you see some miraculous things on these events of things that people have done to keep their machine operating and I'm like how I mean I can manage a bodge but that's it (laughs) with Louisa her her crash in Atlas last year she was like having to pull the cable and switch from like you know, top of her cassette to her bottom of her cassette, like anytime she got to a climb, like that is 
He saw Lachlan Morton on the divide. His axis died, and so he, like, stuck a stick in his derailleur that helped him, like, shift between things. And it's like, I mean, these are all, like, great hacks that you know, and you're like, okay, if this ever happens to me, I'll try that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most – I feel like you can bodge most stuff. I think if you're actually in the situation, it's not necessarily pretty, but you can – I always felt you can – you can probably just put something together that will still roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I'm not, I, I haven't yet touched wood, had it where something has been un, completely unfixable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Most stuff you can, it's not ideal, but you can make it work. Mm-hmm. How's, so how's your body doing now? Like you got through Trans-Pyrenees and were healthy and you took a very different approach to that than you, you normally would. So how are you doing now and how did that go? Yeah, I mean, yeah, better now than than I was in the kind of probably month before that. I think just slowing down a bit and not feeling like I have to race stuff and it has to be either I race it at 100% or I don't do it at all. So when I first injured my knee in Highland Trail, I kind of, I, I, I had a lot of the season left. That's kind of end of May, beginning of June. So there's a lot of year left. Um, so I took quite a long time in that comeback. I was quite steady with it. But then when I came back, I was like, right, okay, now we go again, 100%. It's kind of, it's fixed, let's go. Um, when actually, yeah, it's there's there's something being recovered and then recovered enough to race an ultra at 100. percent And there's there's a lot of room yeah. between that. Um, and you can't really <laughs> test things out. You can. Someone was like, yeah, the physio can say, yeah, your knee seems better, but until you're actually racing an ultra, you can't practice you really racing know. an ultra. Yeah. <laughs> like you're either racing an ultra or you're not. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of that went again, and I I then knew, okay, I I at first I was like, well, that's it, I'm not going to race again this year, and then it's started to look more hopeful that I could ride Transpirinese, but I still knew, okay, I don't have an, I don't have a race in me. I don't have like a flat out mm-hmm. full gas race. I have, I have something where I take it a bit more careful and I'm just a bit steadier with it and a bit calmer with it. Um, and that's what I did. And then I, I think three days after Transpirinese, I went on a bikepacking tour with my dad. So I took a few mm-hmm. days off and then went, went bikepacking kind of from the same region. And actually I think that helped. It kind of meant I had a soft turn to normality yeah. Um, from a riding point of view and psychologically um because we took it really steady so instead of kind of stopping an ultra and going okay cool and stopping and then not starting riding again for however long especially in winter um and then kind of trying to go again i had quite an easy transition back into a bit of rest and then i've just been building up very gradually since then yeah it's almost easier to stay on the bike after an event not pushing limits, not doing anything crazy, but just, you know, soft pedaling, getting around and just giving your body like gentle movement because it is such a shock to go from like a hundred to zero mm-hmm. and your body's like, what's happened to me? Like you swell, like all these crazy things happen. Yeah, I, I did find, I didn't know. Yeah, I know the swollen legs, the cankles. <laughs> <laughs> your fingers, I, I like your face, yeah, everything. Sausages. It's so bad. Yeah. But I didn't, I, I didn't know if I'd actually do it, like go on the tour. I was kind of like, maybe we'll just go on holiday. Yeah. And then quite quickly after I wanted to start running again. And then you're right. I, I felt way better having done like a really easy return to kind of riding, but quite quickly. Um, it was just like hopping between cafes and restaurants. That was the whole thing, Amazing. but it was perfect. <laughs> so you've got Atlas in 2024. Any other plans, bucket list rides? You've got a really cool women's bikepacking ultra camp that you're planning. Um, what's 2024 looking like for you? Yeah, I've got, I've kind of, I'm still in the process of finalizing a couple of the ultras that I'll race. Some of the, like the yeah. s- smaller ones where you're, you're deciding whether you want to do something that's more just for fun or whether you want to do something 
more stupid um, yeah. but yeah kind of the like big ones for me I'm doing yeah Atlas obviously and then Transcon in the summer so yeah. that's kind of the big anchor one of the summer um and then I'll Tenth probably edition do, yeah I know I, I was kind of debating not doing it next year and then I thought oh it's number 10 <laughs> and I feel like it's going to be the one to do um and yeah. I think they're they're really hoping to have a like the best women's field ever so that would be amazing if that kind of happened. Um, just like a cool thing to be a part of. Uh, yeah. And then probably I'll do Transpyrenees again, but race it this awesome. time. So that'll be kind of the end, back end of the year. Um, and then, yeah, in between all of that, kind of scattered around um, these women's ultra camps that I'm helping so to run. Cool. Um, and then a women's rally and stuff. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I, f- I think we spoke about this, but the camps that you're putting on, are they through? We We spoke about your dad and he owns a bike shop i think i remember properly and are those camps through the bike shop that your dad owns yes the kind of some of the staff at the shop we started i think two years ago we started running these ultra races um kind of just because we thought there should be like a big off-road one in wales um so we set up this ultra race and then the past couple of years i mean women have raced it but yeah like not very many um and the whole way through, we've had this thought of, oh, we want there to be more women racing it, but then haven't really done anything with that thought. Um, yeah. And then over the last maybe six months, we've been chatting about actually doing something practical and maybe a bit more meaningful with that. Um, and I got given the kind of free space and the grace to design something that I thought might might work and might be good for people. So cool. Um, and so, yeah, that was only this year that we thought, let's do something kind of let's do something like properly do something rather than just say something. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're hoping that they kind of work as some stepping stones that bridge that gap between the initial thought of I'd want to raise an ultra at some point, And then actually the practicality of how you get to that start line. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they're kind of each a little bit more advanced than the last. Um, and they happen like month by month. And then there's a women's rally now that runs alongside the ultra race, um, which is a bit more Very supported. Cool. So it's kind of like a soft landing into the ultra world. Um, for people who just don't feel quite ready to go out on their own. That's yeah. wonderful. I love that. We need more of that. that. And how, how can people, or is sign up open? I mean, obviously if you're in the UK, it's a bit more practical, but how can folks get involved? Yeah. Yeah. Sign up is open now. Um, yeah. If you go on the Instagram, the Instagram is the cross cartel, um, which is yeah. the kind of the company, I guess, that runs all of them. Um, they all kind of sit under that umbrella. Um, and there's on the Instagram, there's like links to the website and there's all the information, um, on there about each one. Yeah. Put that in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. Listening. So cool. I've always wanted to do a rally. I think Same. that would be very fun. Mm-hmm. It would be fun. Like yeah, a different... social about it as well, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's part of the best part about ultras is it is being to with chat people, with, but it's yeah. so fleeting. It's mm-hmm. so fleeting. You're like, you see somebody on a climb or in a town and then you might never see them ever again. Yeah, it is weird the like weird friendships you make on ultras. And then some people you just think and then you occasionally you'll like touch base again. You're like, we only know each other because that weird thing we did. <laughs> and we met each other on that random, like that random cafe in Morocco or wherever. And there's a weird bond that comes with that. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. That's a special space. Well, pumped to see you in Morocco. Do you know when you're getting there? No. No. I'm not that organized. Is it in your spreadsheet? <laughs> okay, well, I have to fly 
literally across the world. Yeah, I, yeah, I live yeah. on the west coast of Canada, so it's a little bit more of a logistical uh, situation. So I'm getting there, I think, on December, like the Monday the I fifth. arrive. Um, Did you say to December? <laughs> she means yeah, February. I was like, wow, I said she's February fifth. <laughs> I meant February 5th. Um, and yeah, Cynthia and I are going to stay together the week before. And then my mom Amazing. is coming. So oh, she's so special. She's Aww. my mom is like, shame. I'm plugging my mom. She'll kill me because she's listening for sure. But my mom is like not done much travel by herself. Um, and she's turning 60 in March. And so she, I was joking. I'm like, you should come and volunteer at Atlas because she speaks French. And she was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to be by myself. And I was like, well, why don't you come and meet me at the finish? And then we'll go and tour around and, you know, we'll ride some camels. And so oh, that's awesome. my mom is coming on the Thursday, like she'll land on Thursday. And then hopefully that I, I don't expect that I will finish before Friday. So it'd be pretty perfect, um, barring any disasters, but, um, yeah, it's in the spreadsheet. <laughs> Your mom and I are going to be hanging out at the finish. Wait, yeah, she's, Molly she's, too. She's, also, she, no, seriously, my mom is like dot watcher extraordinaire. So like she's going to be so. Well, she messaged Nelson to no. find out where. <laughs> she's like Nelson and I are friends now, and I was like, Mom, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> God, don't you love it? They're just so supportive. Parents. That's such a parent thing. They're yeah. so, so supportive. And you know, they tell all of their friends that their kids do yeah. these crazy things. <gasps> Let me tell you what my daughter does, you know? Yeah. So, we love you, parents. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, to us talk about you. Oh, they are all listening. We know they're listening. <laughs> they are all listening. They are all listening. We got to get your dad on here. To oh, my God. About please, what he's cooked up for you. Um, yes, that would be great. Oh, awesome. wonderful. Uh, well, I think that's like a really great place to leave it. Yeah. And Molly, thanks so much for making the time. And now it's probably dinner time for you, right? Yeah, it is. And I'm home, so my mom's cooking. So this oh, is great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Well, we'll Shout see you in two months. I can't yeah. believe yeah. it. God, God oh, yeah, it is and soon. Yeah. Two months. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with the FKT. Yes. Uh, well, I, we'll be following Good luck along. with the route. And I, yeah. we're sending you sunshine and... <laughs> Thank you. Warm weather so that you're yeah. not. I can just picture you swimming. Like, just. <laughs> what did you call it? An atmospheric river before we got on the call? Yes. Yeah. Yes. No atmospheric Hopefully. rivers for Molly. Uh, Hopefully not. Amazing. Well, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Enjoy your and home meal. bye. Yeah. Enjoy. Bye.